We wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land that this podcast is being recorded on, the Wajak people of Perth region. We recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and community and pay our respects to them and their cultures and to elders both past and present. There's three sides to every story. There's my side, your side and the truth. Come on girls, let's go shopping. That's not a knife. <laughs> this is a knife. What are you looking at? Rolling in a boy jumping man. You're mad, you bastard. Far am you. Far am you. Swear to Christ, ladies, you get a bag of all sorts in here, mate. Welcome to Wook Wook. G'day and welcome to The Last Year Wave. I'm Andrew Pearce and this is the podcast that looks at the wide and varied landscape that is Australian cinema. We're proudly part of the Ozcast Network, so head over to OzcastNetwork.com to listen to other great Australian podcasts just like this one. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners are advised that this following episode contains voices of people who have died. On this episode, you're getting two interviews for the price of one. I'm joined by Kenton McGrath, who is a film producer based in WA. He also teaches film. And in his interview, I talked to him about a recent Perth project that he's done, which has been fantastic and really, really helped uh, young filmmakers get their voices out there. And that project is called Water Features and makes up the Museum of Water short documentary project, where four different short films focused around different aspects of water in Western Australia are explored via the eyes of young filmmakers. It's a really fantastic project that is screening from the 7th of February all the way through to Friday the 23rd of March from uh, 10 a.m. through to 5 p.m. daily at the Fremantle Arts Centre. Now, I've watched these short films and they are actually really, really brilliant. And I'm not just saying that because I interviewed Kenta But they are really great. And often, you know, you watch short films and you you say, you know, that was really good and this kind of stuff. But the the forethought and the planning and the stories that are told in these short films are really exciting. So the first interview that you'll be hearing is with myself and Genta discussing what went into making these short films. The following interview after that is with director Paul Damien Williams of the documentary Gurumul, which is about the great Australian Indigenous artist Geoffrey Gurumul Unipingu, who unfortunately passed away in 2017. And this documentary focuses on his life, his music, and what it means to be an Indigenous artist in Australia and around the world. This is a story that is about bridging two communities together, the Indigenous community in Australia and the community of the world. There has never been an artist like Gurumul who has been able to break down the barriers around the world uh, with Indigenous music in the way that he did. And, you know, there there are moments in this documentary where we see uh, five-star reviews all around the world for his music. And getting to see Gurumul's reaction to that kind of stuff is powerful and important in a lot of ways. He is a really... Uh, beautiful character he is very joking and and, you know hilarious to watch and the way that he interacts with this world that around him that he can't see because he's blind from birth is really powerful and interesting and i wish that everybody got to see this documentary it's currently screening at the perth international arts festival i highly recommend going along and seeing it because it is a very powerful documentary and 
in a lot of ways, it's an interesting look at the commercialism and at trying to package up somebody and make them into a commercial success in a way that they never really intended to be. You know, there, there are moments in this documentary where Gurumul talks about how personal these stories are and how what these songs that he sings mean to him and his community, the, the Yongu tribes that he comes from in, in Northern Territory and what that means to them and the connection that he has with these stories that he's singing about. These are not stories that are simply just songs that he's he's come up off the top of his head. These are so, stories and songs that have been part of him for thousands of years, part of his community for thousands of years, and most importantly, part of the Australian land for thousands of years. These are songs that talk about water serpents and creatures of the past and, and spirits who have been around for years and years and years and how they continue on in Gurumul and Gurumul's family. And there is a beautiful moment where uh, Gurumul is invited to come and sing in, uh, I think it was in in London, uh, with Sting. And Sting uh, gets him to sing Every Breath You Take, which is, you know, it's a a nice song. It's a good song. But there is a a beautiful moment where Gurumul is like, this song means nothing. You know, it's an empty song that just exists to make money. And Gurumul sings in his language. So, you know, he he speaks many, many different languages. And yet English is probably his fourth or fifth language. So it's not his top language. And so trying to understand and interpret what the lyrics to Every Breath You Take means to somebody like Gurumul is interesting because to him... He says, you know, this is a meaningless song. What, what is this song about? It's, it's just completely meaningless. And so that, that in itself is really interesting and, and powerful because when he does sit there and sing the song with Sting, you know, it is a very powerful moment, but it's, it's shadowed by this, this, you know, concept of commercialism. And, you know, hearing Sting, who, you know, is a great artist for sure, but he is worlds apart from what Gurumul is as a singer and worlds apart from who Gurumul is as a person. And it's really, you know, in that regard, it's a really powerful documentary. And we're just, I'm I'm honoured and and thankful and grateful that Gurumul's story is able to continue on in this aspect, in this regard. And... You know, it's a. I, I keep on using this word, but it is a powerful documentary. It is very, very powerful. And you'll hear me talk with uh, director Paul Damien Williams after the interview with Kenta about what went into making this documentary and what the collaborative process was with Gurumul and also the, the people in Gurumul's life in allowing this, this story to be told and what the importance of a story like this is in Australian cinema. So... I hope you enjoy that discussion with Paul. I, I really enjoyed being able to talk to with, with him about this film. And I really enjoyed listening to Kenta talk about uh, what went into making these short films. The reason why these are paired together is that some of these short films are playing in front of the, the Gurumul documentary as it's screening in Perth at the Perth International Arts Festival uh, from February the 12th through to the... Uh, 25th of February. Apologies there, had to bring up my calendar. 
So make sure to head along and go and see this. And I believe that Gurum will be screening around Australia as well. Uh, so please head along and check it out because it's a, it's a powerful documentary. Really, really impressive stuff. So in the meantime, as a kookaburra sings in the background, let's have a listen to the sound of the the water of Perth as we bring in the uh, interview with Kenta. And then after that interview, you'll hear the the trailer for the documentary Gurumal, as well as the interview with Paul Damien Williams. Because I'm mm-hmm. curious about where this idea came from and the relationship with water and and seeing sure. it from a, a, a young person's perspective. Yeah, sure thing. Um, well, that all kind of um, uh, preceded my involvement with the project. So um, the initial project is a kind of larger art project by a UK artist called Amy Sharks. And um, so she travels the world um, visiting everything from major cities to small villages and asks the local inhabitants to donate a small kind of container of water. You know, could, could be in a jar or a bottle or um, a tub. And um, and it's accompanied by a little kind of story. So if you go on her website, which is very easy to find, um, you can see a sample of about, I think there's about four or five thousand different samples on there. Um, so you can see a photograph of, of the container which the water has um, been donated in. And then Attached as a little note, sometimes it's really kind of short and ambiguous, like um, such and such as death, 1978 or something like that. And sometimes it's kind of um, very expanded and there's kind of like a really kind of um, full-on story accompanying it. So um, PF, uh, she was a guest of the festival this year, as she was last year. And um, so I think it's PF's... Um, uh, Tom Vincent, the film, film programmer for PF... Um, yeah. And, uh, and with Hewitt, I think it was their initiative to kind of branch off and commission a film uh, equivalent of that, which I think is a very cool idea. And yeah, um, yeah it's smart. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so they kind of rode the coattails a little bit, but it kind of the films end up doing their own thing. And um, yeah, Screenless pitched in with some support, which was uh, much needed. And and yeah, and that's how the project came to be. So it's kind of yeah goes back well beyond my involvement with the project. <laughs> well, it's 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 really impressive how, uh, you know, obviously there's the young kids that are, are telling the story, but the, the support that you guys have gotten behind them to help tell their stories and their relationship with water is, is really impressive and, and important. Um, mm. So I'm curious how you found these people and, and how you engaged in that particular, uh, you know, finding the, the schools and the kids uh, and, and telling their stories. Yeah, um, so there was a submission process. There was a call out to schools. Um, the timing of it was a little bit awkward. It was kind of coincided with exams and um, the end of semester, uh, the end of this um, last term. So um, it was a bit of an awkward timing, but we managed to get um, a few really good submissions and we whittled that down to four. Um, initially, initially, the kind of the projects that the kids pitched um, some of them turned out quite differently to what ended up on screen. So it wasn't necessarily that we were kind of looking for this fully formed uh, you know, idea that was just kind of ready to be made or anything like that. In some, in some instances, they were like that. But in other instances, it was kind of like, you know, we could just tell that the students had a real, um, uh, what's the word, kind of really close 
close and meaningful connection to water that we thought was really worth exploring or they had some kind of particular um, passion about an aspect of filmmaking that clearly um, with a bit of nurturing, I guess, could have um, could have really flourished. So, yeah, the reasons we chose the projects are all quite different. Um, but in all instances, they all, they, we could tell there was a kind of a very personal, um, they wanted to make something very personal. And um, that's what we were after from the, from the get-go. Yeah. And yeah, so there's a pretty good range of films, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, some of them are, you know, like the ones in Karatha. Uh, that stuff's quite otherworldly to me as well. You know, <laughs> I, f- I feel privileged to be to go up there. And yeah, their relationship to water is just kind of pretty pretty crazy. Um, you know, these two kids who just kind of go doing their own thing in the middle of the ocean. Well, um, that's what I think that people forget is that WA is a huge state. Mm. You know, we've got the Swan River, which is fantastic. And, you know, the... The short little films about the relationship with the city and the Swan River is really interesting. Yeah, yeah. But then to go up north and see that aspect is really beautiful, and and getting to see their their relationship with the uh, the ocean is uh, really really lovely. So, what was it like working mm. with those guys, and and what was their pitch like as well? Um, there's one initially. I think from memory, their application was quite sparse to begin with, <clears throat> and um. So we kind of follow up in a few more details. And then uh, the teacher, because I think they'd already bugged off for holidays then, I think the teacher <laughs> kind of um, provided a few more details, kind of the, the context of um, the kids' relationship to water, and then we, that's when we kind of really latched on. So, yeah, these, they, there were these two kids who um, uh, their parents kind of um, gifted them a boat, um, and they're really, really young. You know, that those kids are like skippering from about year nine or something like that. So what's up? 13, 14, 15 yeah. years old. Yeah, and I'm um, just kind of giving this unprecedented amount of freedom, um, which was really unusual to me and, well, to everyone kind of viewing the viewing the applications. And, um, and yeah, you know, did a few quick... Uh, I'd never been up that part of the world before and um, did a few quick Google searches and I thought, oh, this is kind of ready-made. <laughs> um, just so beautiful and it's gonna yeah, look looking look and sound very beautiful and the kids sound really interesting and um yeah, and those two kids as you can see from the film, they don't talk much. Um, so that wasn't a kind of stylistic thing or anything like that. They're they yeah, they're they're actually quite two different kids, um, who just have that they have a really strong friendship but it's kind of centered entirely around water. Yeah. Um oh sorry, that's that's maybe that's a bit too fast. Um I'm sure there's more to it than that. But um so yeah, water is their kind of real kind of key connection, and um, yeah, they they don't are really kind of they a screen characters are really interesting because um, yeah, they kind of communicate with the glances and little kind of nods, and um, most of the stuff that would come out of their mouths when when they yeah. were together was to to do with tides or the water or the or the fish they were about to catch or um, yeah, so they kind of, their entire kind of relationship revolved around water, and I thought that was really fascinating, and um. Yeah, and that's what we try to capture on the film. Capture on the film. Well, I think I think there's a beautiful kind of uh, respect for the 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 land that they they live with, you know. And there's, mm. there's a moment with the turtle, which you know, surprising and and really lovely to see. And it's just, you know, it's a nice kind of uh, forward thinking relationship with the land and the sea that I guess we don't usually get to see because you know, I think in Perth at least the 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 kind of relationship that many people would think of is that oh you just go out surfing or go out yeah, yeah. jet ski or something like that and this is kind of harmonious in a lot of ways um 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as are most of the other stories as well, which, you know, it's the, we take water for granted in a lot of ways. And, you know, seeing the way that, uh, you know, people from different countries interact with our water as well, that, that story mm. is really lovely too. Mm. So I'm curious about that. Was that a conscious decision to, to kind of uh, contrast, uh, you know, a, a less fortunate um, water community to Australia's mm-hmm. community uh, or interacting with water? Uh, you mean in relation to the other films that we ended up making? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, not so much. I mean, we were... Um, I mean, it was great that that story, because I think that was the, one of the few applications which had a kind of international perspective. Um, but um, I don't think we kind of chose them to contrast with any other films so much, although we did really want to have a good range of films. Sure. Um, yeah, so, and I think we did achieve that. So there's a kind of, you know, that one's quite kind of a semi-comedic film, if you like, and then we've got an experimental film, we've got an observational film, and then we've got this kind of um, slow, kind of poetic, almost a fictional, something that looks and sounds like a fictional film. So I think the range of films... That was certainly something that we were looking for, but um, not so much to kind of contrast contrast the topic, I guess, with any with any, with any other. It just turned out just just yeah, it turned out very luckily. Mm. Well, it's it's really important that uh, you know these kinds of stories are told as well. And I'm curious for you because you teach film studies uh, in the universities mm-hmm. around Perth as well. What is uh, how does it you know how important is it for you to see these young voices come through uh, in Australia? Oh, I mean, like, hugely important. I mean, uh, films for me are all about kind of uh, paying attention to what's already there and obvious. Um, <laughs> and they're, they're the kind of films that I really like. So in this case, you know, water is something I don't... Until I did this project, uh, maybe I spent you know, a couple of minutes at most actually thinking about water. Um, in any way, it's just something that's always been there for me. And, um, um, yeah, um, that's how lucky we are, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's, it's really um, important for well, both obviously myself and um, all the students who participated to actually, yeah, really kind of interrogate something that you know um, that in everyday life we take for granted. Mm. Um, and I'm hoping, yeah, for the students who will pursue um, who do this project who will pursue filmmaking in the future, that is something they can, yeah, apply to their filmmaking um, as the years go on. Whether yeah. it be water or whether it be water or romance or death or whatever it might be, but yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, just um, yeah, yeah. It's that, that that was the kind of appeal for me, um, for me anyway, coming on board the project just to yeah, yeah. Wa- water is very everyday, um, but um, that's much it. More than that. Yeah, I mean, the, the in 2017, Jennifer Peedham did the documentary Mountain, which was a really mm-hmm. fantastic documentary, kind of like the follow up to Sherpa and. When mm-hmm. I watched it, I, I felt much the same as you about water. Like I, I hadn't really spent more than maybe two minutes thinking about mountains in my life, and then <laughs> watch this powerful documentary about mountains. I'm like, I'm seeing it from a whole different perspective. Much the same yeah, yeah, yeah. short films are like seeing water from a completely different sp- perspective as well. Which I was just like, okay, this is fantastic because I'm reviewing the world that I live in, which is great. And see yeah, different eyes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, so does that actually kind of make us kind of um, really consider what we have in front of us all the time? Um, well, most of us are lucky enough to have in front of us most of the time. But um, yeah, also kind of like a from a problem-solving perspective. I, I, I look at kind of filmmaking as kind of 
boys was sort of problem solving. So it's kind of like, how do we film water? <laughs> how do we film water? What 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 does water sound like? How can it look on screen? How can it be cinematic? So um, those kinds of more practical challenges were, well, yeah, were extremely fun also. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I've heard so many different toilet flushes and sink gurgles and stuff over the last last few months. It's driving me crazy. But um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was really... Well, if yeah, it was really uh, good. sorry, yeah, if if film criticism or you know teaching film doesn't work out, you could always work as a plumber or something like that. That's yeah, yeah, there's always that to fall back on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but it was really cool, kind of getting the kids to um, yeah, not just what it, what does water mean, but also how can water look, and also yeah, and what does water sound like? Because I think um, what really came across much more than I anticipated in um, most of these films was the sound of water. Um, particularly the the experimental piece um, set in the Perth, Perth CBD, which is kind of almost entirely driven by the soundtrack. So, um, yeah, it was good. Not just, yeah, notice water visually, but also kind of turn, uh, um, listen <laughs> listen to water as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. So for people in Perth, where can they see these films and, and interact with them? So there'll be quite a few opportunities in the next few weeks. Um, the Museum of Water exhibition, um, which these films are just a small part of, so that this includes all, all sorts of performances, media installations, the water donations themselves. Um, that'll be running at Fremantle Art Centre between 7th of February, which is tomorrow, the opening is tomorrow, until the 23rd, I think it is, 23rd of March. So a good um, month and a half. Cool. And um, so that, that'll be screened, the films will be in a, in a gallery setting there, um, screening in a loop. And then, in addition to that, there'll be screening uh, before the main feature as part of the PF um, Little Rest Film Program over the over the next. Uh, so I think it's about next five or six weeks because they alternate between um, Somerville and um, Oh yeah, Jinder yeah. yeah, so that the first screening will be next Monday, and then um, yeah, so over that period, um, people will be able to watch the films on a big screen. So they'll just be screening you know, one short per the feature um, but if possible I would highly recommend people to try and sit on the big screen because that's what they've been designed to where they've been designed to be yeah. screened and yeah and then um, and then finally at, at Yeagan Square I've, I've just heard that there'll be a, um, a screening um, at the Moon Open Yeagan oh, Square either, yeah either this weekend or next cool I'm curious as well like this is it, it's very it looks very pristine and kind of high budget what, what kind of equipment did you guys use as well um, pretty basic equipment, to be honest. Sure. Um, three of the four films were shot on a, a DSLR. Um, uh, so, so I'm not too great with equipment. Um, oh, Sony, <laughs> I think it was Sony A7 or something like that. Yeah. Um, the Small Flowers, the, um, the film from John Curtin, was shot with... Um, sorry, I don't know the answer to you. I can get back to you, but you know. Oh, no, um, no that's okay. Yeah, I'm just was curious, it more... Like, yeah, but... The, you know, low-budget kind of stuff is, is able to look so you know, like there's a million bucks behind it nowadays, which is... Yeah, absolutely. These stories. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, I'm glad you think so, because, yeah, we, you know, our budget certainly wasn't huge um, by any stretch of the imagination. So, yeah, I think we made, I think we made the money go a long way. Yeah. Um, yeah, four very different films. I think they all look and sound very polished. And, um, yeah, but they were, you know, um, behind the scenes, they're all very, very tiny productions. You know, they're very small kind of documentary productions. Um, just a very, very tiny crew. Um, everyone doing everything. Um, 
Yeah, so yeah, yeah, I think it's, I think you're totally right. We live in we live in lucky times where a lot of money can go um, can 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 go a long way up on the screen. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. Um, so the last question, which I've mm-hmm. got, because um, we cover Australian films on our website and sure. pushes Australian films as much as possible. So mm-hmm. uh, the question I ask everybody is: Is there an Australian film that you particularly enjoy that you recommend people seeking out as well? Uh, not a current film necessarily. Oh, any uh, from could go all the way back to beginning of cinema. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So whatever, um, whatever you really enjoy. Yeah, sure thing. Let me think. Um, two films which I've seen recently. Uh, one is um, by a filmmaker called Tracy Moffat, who's also an artist, and um, she made this crazy film called Bedevil which in the early 80s, I think it was, and I was lucky enough to see that at a retrospective at uh, Melbourne Film Festival a few months ago. Oh, lucky. Yeah, uh, in fact, I fell asleep during the screening because I was flu-ridden and I missed the damn thing, but and then I managed to catch up with it um, later on DVD. Oh, recommendation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Wake and Fright is a long favourite of mine since yeah. it's been restored. Um, and every time someone asks me, uh, what's your favourite? Perth or WA film, I always give the same answer, which is a short documentary by Josh Lee called um, A Dollar for the Good Ones, which is a very gritty, um, kind of beautiful observational documentary made mm, about 10 years ago now um, by a filmmaker who kind of observes his childhood friends who become heroin addicts. It sounds very sad, and it is very sad, but it's also very kind of uh, warm and warm and beautiful as well. And uh, you can watch that on Vimeo. So, um, Fantastic. Yeah, they're, they're the three at the top of my head. When you talk about Koromoletsa, it's a big story. Marayako, Jeffrey Koromoletsa, Pingo, Aunduanga Pujara Galen Opue. We are the different two worlds here. The one world is Malanda and the other world is Yulgo. It's making it easier for the world to understand and it's making it new. There's an incredible future for him. You are a truly wonderful artist. Thank you. The possibilities for him are limitless. When you're carrying the two worlds on your back, what do you feel? How do you feel? The world pulling you down or, he said, making you standing up. You're going to have to get used to doing this, you know that, don't you? So the world wants to know more about him. Closing their eyes and open their hearts, they'll see him clear. Who can see with your heart to taste the salt water and fresh water. Mayro, Vijananamagam.
Your Lingon. Andrew Pierce here from AB Film Review. How are you doing? Good, Andrew. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Good, good. I'm just calling to have a chat about your great film. Thank you. Yeah, lovely yeah. to talk to you. Yeah. Uh, I caught it the other night uh, at a screening. The screening that Jessica ran for um, the International Arts Festival, of course, and it was stunning. Uh, you know, I, I watched the trailer and expected to be moved, and I, I didn't realise how moved I would be. Uh, so I'm really grateful for that. It was a very, very powerful film. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it's very kind of you to, um, to say so. Now, this is an audio podcast as well, so I'll, um, we'll jump straight into it because I've only got a short period of time. Yep. But, um, yep. Basically, I want to ask about what, how did you get involved with this story of Gurumul? Mm. Well, uh, I was working as an in-house filmmaker for his record label, uh, Skinny Fish Music, and a producer... It's quite a long story, but I'll, I'll try and keep it uh, sweet for you. Um, he, a, a producer from Melbourne came up uh, to work for a couple of years in Darwin, and I, I met up with him and we became friends. And we started talking about uh, a documentary uh, about um, about Gurumul. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we put it to Skinny Fish, and a, a lot of people had, had asked about it before, but because I was working with them and knew Gurumul and his family quite well by that stage, because I was making various films um, for Skinny for Skinny Fish out in Alka Island and you know um, other parts of the Yungle world which um, he belonged to, um, I, I, I built up the relationships uh, with them, and yeah, so Mark said, yeah. Um, well, let's do it. Uh, and, you know, Gurumul said, yep, let's do it, as long as they don't have to talk in it. <laughs> and uh, Michael Michael said, yeah, let's do it as well. So our three main st- st- uh, stakeholders uh, all agreed. And then uh, Gurumul's family, um, it's a very family, tribal-orientated world, so up there agreed to do it as well. Um, so yeah, that's how that's how it began um, about four years ago. So we first started film, filming, uh, uh, kicking the film around about four years ago. So it's taken a very long time to um, to come to fruition, yeah, as and, documentaries often do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, as I was going to say, with the, with a lot of documentaries, you spend a lot of time with the subjects and you get to know them really mm-hmm. intimately and really well. Mm-hmm. So how do yep. you curate all of that down into this, you know, 90-minute, essentially brilliant documentary. How do you pick out these powerful moments from Gurumul's life and, and present it? Well, you have a, um, in our case, an agonising uh, 26-week um, edit. <laughs> <laughs> so um, um, two editors worked um, extremely hard um, on this film in conjunction with m- myself, um, Shannon, the producer, Shannon Swan, and uh, Ken Sowers. And um, we refined it and we refined it and we refined it and then we refined it. And, and, and we were, I, I've never worked... I mean, I, I, I started off as a film editor um, and I've never worked uh, so hard on... Um, on the post-production of a job to get the 
the rhythms uh, of the film as 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 they appear. Uh, yeah. yeah, so that's how you do it. <laughs> so tell me about those rhythms as well, because mm. you know, Guru Moore's music is is really powerful, beautiful stuff, and it's mm. fantastic the way that you thread it through the film, uh, both in live performances as well as uh, using it as like a background to to different stories. So. How, yeah. how was that as a collaborative process with both yourself, obviously, and Michael and Gormal to decide where to place oh. these songs? Okay, so um, it's a very interesting question you ask, and, and it's quite a complex um, answer in that we have live performance. We have we have tracks from his um, his albums, which audiences largely will be uh, familiar with but we also have um, a lot of music that's being uh, composed uh, or trialed throughout the film uh, so you know the classical sequence you'll remember uh, where there are some real gun Sydney classical music mm-hmm. musicians who are trying to work on the score which uh, Erki Veltheim, uh, a, a, a composer, has taken traditional Yurimul Aboriginal music and put them into a Western standardised score that we're all familiar with. And having these musicians try and play that and the difficulties that, 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 that they had in doing that. So we had you know, components like that throughout the film. And then we also actually had the pure film score. So we had a, a lot of music that was composed for the film, and that was a collaboration, the very last work that uh, Gromor did in his life with Michael and with um, Eki. And that was a very beautiful process because we'd work on scenes, and we knew that that scene needed music, as often happens in any feature film anywhere. And they put in, you put in the guide track, and then we said, okay. I, I said to Michael, and um, I said to Gurumal and and Eki, okay, you, you need you need to create that. You need to create. This is the feeling we're after. And uh, some of those moments in the film are they're incredible because yeah. uh, because they had that deep response to the not normal with the visual uh, visual elements, but if he was told what dance was uh, happening um, uh, and 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 the context of of what the visuals were, he would be able to come up with a motif and they'd be able to develop it together. So, um, yeah, the, it's a, it's a it's a deeply musical. Um, deeply, deeply musical film for yeah. lots of reasons. I and I really appreciate the moments as well that you inject into the film that you present Gurumal's world from, you know, his perspective as best as possible. So the black screen and all the sound mm. around and everything like that. I, I appreciate that because, you know, for us sighted people, it's uh, you know, we it's impossible to imagine what it is like to live blind and. That's possibly the closest representation to it. Was that something that you discussed with Gurumal to say this is something we'd like to be able to present? We did, yeah, and um, he just laughed. He thought that was um, <laughs> he thought that, he thought it was funny, and, and 
I, I remember talking to him about it, and he, he go and um, <laughs> I, I sort of described it, and, and he goes, "How long for? How long for?" And I said, um, uh, <laughs> "I said a really long time when some people start to um, feel a bit nervous uh, when they're watching it." And he goes, "What? Their whole life?" <laughs> So he had a he had a great sense of humour about those um, those um, things, and it was it, it is important because you forget it because you, and it's something that Shannon and I, when we're working on um, on the later parts of the edit, is that I think you forget that he's because he's he operates so well within his world or did that he. That, that he's blind. Yeah. I used to forget it in real life, where just in my dealings with him. You know, you'd be with him in a special situation, and someone would be meeting him for the first time, and they'd go to shake. This is a classic situation. It happened all the time, all the time, where people would go to shake his hand, and um, you, generally, Michael would grab their hand and put it into Gromwell's hand because, of course, he can't sort of see. So. Um, you know, they're going to do something that we take for granted, like a, a handshake when you meet someone. Like, mm. well, where's the hand? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so what was it like for you as well to be witness to such a powerful friendship and bond that, you know, Gormal and Michael have together? It's <clears> really, really powerful to, to watch that in the film. So I can only imagine it would have been really powerful for you uh, to be there firsthand. Yeah, it was. it was... It was wonderful to witness, and I mean, we, we, in the film, we focused mostly on the um, connection between Guru Moore and Michael, but there was, you know, a very, very deep one between uh, Guru Moore and, and, and Mark as well. Uh, so, I suppose I, I really thought in a way that that was the key to the film um, because we had a subject who wasn't going to speak and we couldn't uh, we couldn't interview him or have his point of view in a you know tried and true uh, documentary context if you if you get my main yes, meaning yeah. he, he simply wouldn't speak I mean uh, not until the very 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 end uh, did that happen um, so concentrating on that uh, on that relationship um, was well, it was it was crucial. It, it, it became it, it became how we described both of their worlds uh, to, to to the audience, and um, and it was a beautiful. It was a and, and it. it Right up till I mean, I, I went to his funeral uh, on Elka Island with with Michael and Shannon, and uh, you know, right up right up to the end, the esteem that those guys are held in in that community for what for what they achieved together, and how um, how they looked after uh, Gurumore during his life was um, uh, it's wonderful to wonderful to see. Yeah, it it really is, and you know, I'm I'm really grateful that this story is out there and and being shared with the world because one of the things which I I really appreciate about Australian cinema in the last few years is we've really explored Indigenous stories a lot more, and mm. your film really shows, uh, you know, 
the bridge between the two worlds that live in Australia. <clears throat> and uh, I'm really grateful <clears throat> for that. So was that kind of a, a conscious thing to explore that or was it, did it just come naturally uh, through the story of Gurumul? Uh, yeah, that was that was in our original uh, documentation. Um, the, the the basic premise of the film was I always thought of it as um, I remember in like maths in in primary school, and you'd have a circle and you'd have another circle, and so you'd have a set and a, and and another set, and then you then you made them cross over. So you had that sort of slither of both of the circles that make the subset. Uh, I always thought of it as a, a story of two worlds intersecting. So I was interested in that space between the, uh, the worlds. But I was also really interested in the difficulty each world has uh, with negotiating um the, the, the cultural differences and expectations within within the other. Mm-hmm. Now, I think it's fair to say that white Australians don't have to live in, generally don't have to live in two worlds, or if they do, they do it for a brief time. I mean, the, 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 the migrant experience, uh, that, that aside for a moment, um, but you, you generally, it's a, a generalisation I'm making, um, yeah. but go, bear with me. <laughs> um, Indigenous Australians have to do that every single day. They have, um, particularly in those traditional um, traditional places where traditional law and they're still, you know, really strongly practised in the Yungle world and um, surrounding areas in particular. Now... Um, what fascinated me in this film was how Michael and Mark had to uh, they had to live that indigenous experience of moving into another world with all that entailed and we get to see in a way by proxy through their experience and their difficulties what it's like to have to has to have that as just the part of the discourse of your experience in life, and and, and that's what blackfellas have to deal with every day in this country. Now, there's the expectation that um, that they um, be part of our world. There's never an expectation the other way around, or really. Um, uh, you know, this is one, this is one dominant culture, and 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 um, and, and, and I suppose that's the experience of indigenous cultures all the way around the world. But yeah, it was it was certainly something which um, was was the inspiration of the film. But I wanted to do it in a non-dogmatic way. Sure. I didn't want to make it a political a, a political film. Um, I wanted to have that as the subtext of the film, and I think, I think, <clears throat> pardon me, I think I've achieved that. Um, I, I think we've achieved that. Uh, Definitely, um, I, I think you mm. have indeed, because it's a it is a really powerful film. It's a beautiful film, and you know, it's a it's a great document of a great artist and a great man. Mm. And that's you know that's a testament to both him and your filmmaking that that it it, it honours him as a person. So I'm really grateful for that. Um, 
One last question, then I'll let you go. Yeah, I I appreciate that you made this film because I've been a huge fan of Gurumul's music for a long time. And, uh, you know, sitting and watching it was, um, yeah, as I mentioned, it's really powerful. Um, So the one question... Oh, sorry, you go. (laughs) Hold on one sec. Look, look, we were very lucky um, that we started when we did making the film. And I feel similar to you. I feel um, very fortunate. Well, not just for myself, but th- that we've got this record of his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a very he, he's a very important artist, um, not just in Australia but around the world. Um, it's it, the film's been selected to play at Berlin, so we're we're going over to Berlin Film Festival right. to present it um, yeah, in a couple of weeks, um, which is fa- fabulous. So they they get it as well. So it's not it's not. Um, Sort of being pigeonholed in, in, in an Australiana context, which is um, which is fantastic. So it is; it's an important document, and we're very, very lucky um, with our timing, with how we sort of uh, got to start the film when we did. That we were able to to capture his last great concerts, and um, you know, we've we've got a document of this wonderful, wonderful artist for uh, for the future. I agree. I agree. Uh, so quickly, the last question, which I ask everybody that comes on, because uh, I focus mm. on Australian films on this show. So is there an mm. Australian film or a filmmaker that has inspired you as a director? Uh, yeah, too many. Yeah, <laughs> um, too many. Uh, um, yeah, there's, um, there's a, a, a great deal. But if I have to say one, it would be um, Peter Weir. Oh, fantastic! Good choice. <laughs> yeah, but Peter, Peter Weir is yeah one of our. We, we we've had a lot, and we've had a lot of great uh, documentary filmmakers. But if I had to say one single Australian um, film director, it's, it's Peter, Peter Weir. But he's one. Forget about Australia. He's one of the best ever. I, I agree opinion. with that. Yeah, definitely. Well. Look, Paul, I really appreciate your time. It's been fantastic mm. chatting to you. I feel like I could talk mm. forever about your, your brilliant film and make sure everybody goes and heads along when it screens in Perth. And uh, certainly, I hope that it goes really well in Berlin as well. It's great to hear that you, you guys are heading across. Yes. The yeah, well, no, it's the, only, it's the only Aussie feature over there this year. So um, we're, we're, well, we're really pumped uh, pumped about it. And we're just... We're just um, yeah, working out um, like um, international um, distributors now. So we, we, we really hope to, to we, we just want a lot of people to see the film. We think it's um, we think it's an important. Forget about the film, but the story is it, it's a very important it's a very important story that, that needs to be known. So that is Kenton McGrath and. Paul, Damien Williams, both talking about their projects, which are part of the Perth International Arts Festival happening right here in Perth right now. So make sure to head along and go and see both of their works because it's really, you know, they're really fantastic works. Those short films at the beginning as I was talking, they are really great. And the documentary Gorimul is a really powerful documentary, which I I really hope that a lot of people head along to go and see. Uh, You know, it's, it's what this show is about pushing Australian cinema in all different forms in all different formats and I really hope you enjoy listening to me bang on about Australian cinema because I really enjoy going on about Australian cinema it's 
you know, a huge passion of mine and being able to talk to people just like Kenter and just like Paul is really enjoyable and I, I thoroughly, thoroughly appreciate uh, these people spending their time listening to me uh, ask awkward questions about their, their projects and their films. So I really appreciate that. Okay, so now we come to the self-promotion part of the show, which is always a little bit difficult for me, but nonetheless, here I go. All right, AB Film Review is the name of uh, the website that uh, we run, abfilmreview.com. Listen to other previous episodes of this particular show, as well as the main show, AB Film Review, all on the same RSS feed uh, right over there. You can also read articles and reviews and different things on there enter competitions to win tickets to go and see australian films and the like over on that particular website make sure to also follow us on social media facebook ab film review twitter ab film review and really you know that that is a huge huge help giving us a like on there because it helps our show get out to other ears also, if you want to go that extra step, you can also head over to patreon.com forward slash abfilmreview, put a dollar behind the show. Uh, really, all you have to do is just put one dollar behind, one dollar a month, so twelve dollars a year. It's fantastic. All it does is it just helps us uh, keep the show going and being able to afford to uh, go and see these films and going able to go and interview these people and all that kind of stuff. And maybe, just maybe, I might be able to afford to get some... Uh, better quality equipment so you don't hear all this background noise of dogs and birds and stuff like that also if you like what we do as i mentioned we are part of the ozcast network so ozcastnetwork.com listen to other great shows like hong kong confidential and also the yeah g'day podcast which i think is a really fantastic show and and really you know all of these shows on there are really great and i'm not just saying that because i'm part of there i do actually actively listen to them and part of the reason why i wanted to join the network was because the shows on there are great so i hope that we're just as uh you know good as as them uh finally if you have apple an apple product head over onto the Apple store and leave us a five-star rating and a review. Just helps other people get their ears onto the show. That's really about it from me now. That's a lot of self-promotion there. I've got to work on making that a lot shorter. Uh, Next time I'll make it shorter, I promise. I promise. Uh, Thank you again for listening to everything here. It's been fantastic. And keep on watching Australian cinema. Now, to carry us out, I'm going to play a Gurumul song, so listen to this. Be moved. He is a fantastic singer, and I really appreciate your time. Have a great day. Be kind to each other. Yeah.